but it's tradition. That has to be one of the main things I've heard over the years from brides and grooms as they plan their weddings. But what if we told you the real reason behind the tradition or that it hasn't even been around for that long? Would it change your mind on how you plan to choose your wedding day or not? The truth of the legends just might surprise you. Hey there, and welcome to the Anti-Wedding Wedding Club Podcast, Episode 1. I'm your host, Stephanie Serrell, a semi-retired event planner turned Silicon Valley tech marketer who just hasn't been able to shake the wedding industry. After 10 plus years of doing events and weddings, I have a few opinions, and if you know me personally, this should not surprise you at all. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on myself, though, for those of you that don't know me. So there's a premise for this entire podcast, and it actually makes sense. I've never been one of those people that had their wedding planned in their head as a kid. I've never played bride and groom with my friends, and I never really actually worried about getting married at all. I know this is weird coming from a person that did multiple weddings every single year. I told my mom that I wasn't getting married till I was in my 30s while I was in high school, and I didn't even have a serious relationship till the age of 27. I know all of this makes me seem like a love heathen. I swear I'm really not. I think love and marriage and weddings are all fantastic things should a person want that in their life. For me personally, though, I was just focused on myself and on my career for the majority of my 20s. It's the middle of May right now, and I'm turning 33 in two weeks. And for the first time in my life, I've actually begun to really think about what I would do if I was to get married. Those thoughts have also brought up a lot more than I ever would have imagined. I had a sense that I did not want a traditional wedding in my 20s, but I didn't have a fully formed opinion on what I would do differently. I just knew there were two very big aspects of getting married that I did not want to think about. Walking down the aisle, which is traditionally done by a bride's father, and the father-daughter dance. I lost my dad right before I turned 21, And part of that loss was knowing that one day when I did get married, there was going to be a massive piece of that day missing. So this made me think of things like, do I walk myself down the aisle? Why can't my future husband walk with me? Do I even need to do the whole aisle thing? Okay, then would I regret missing that part of the ceremony? Ugh. So these are the things that go through my head when I think about weddings. Why do we do things a certain way? And why do I feel this really weird sense of guilt for wanting to change them? Is the person that I marry going to think I've lost my collective mind when I come at them with all the things I want to change? Or worse, will my future mother-in-law completely hate me? I still don't know what I'm going to do with those two traditions, or any of them really, when the day comes that I do get married. But researching why these are part of the wedding day to begin with and then being armed with that information, well, it allows me to choose my own path and my own wedding that fits myself and my partner. So that's why we're here. The concept for Anti-Wedding Wedding Club is simply meant to arm all the ladies and the guys with information on how and why these traditions and this industry exist. So you can make your own decision on what you want to do when it comes to celebrating your love and your marriage 
and give you the confidence to step outside the cookie cutter wedding box should you want to. Lastly, the overall theme of this podcast is do whatever you want. My job is to simply give you information, though I will be somewhat biased on certain traditions, and then you can do whatever the hell you want with it. It's not up to me. If you don't want to listen to me, your mother, every bridal website down to the person that you're marrying, don't. Be you and make your own path. That's kind of the whole point. So let's get started with the first tradition that we're tackling, the rings. One of the first things I ever knew about engagement and wedding rings was that they were supposed to be worn on your left ring finger because it was believed a vein in that finger led directly to the heart. You guys will have to forgive me. The first time I heard this, I was in high school and didn't know how everything worked yet. This theory was born to the Greeks and Romans who believed in the vein of love or vena amoris as they called it. We do hear about this again in the 7th century, when Christian philosopher and historian St. Isidore of Seville wrote about this Roman story that tells of a vein connected to the heart and the bond of love, and that's what really cemented it into further writings in current history. So, of course, we know now that the circulatory system doesn't work this way, but I have to admit I'm a sucker for these kind of stories. There's something much more romantic about a vein of love than the true reasons for ring placement. We see other mentions and usage of the left ring finger as we move through history. In 860 AD, Pope Nicholas I was the first pope to document that a future groom was required to present his bride-to-be with the ring. As Christianity spreads, the Christian marriage ceremony included the priest saying a prayer over the couple, closing the prayer with, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As he prayed, the minister would touch each finger on the left hand, starting with the thumb and ending with the ring finger where he would place the ring. While these religious and historical factors definitely influenced where we put our wedding rings, we actually think one of the truths could be a lot simpler than that. Most wedding bands were made of soft materials, and since most people are right-handed, wearing it on your left hand just made more sense as it kept it more protected and resulted in less damage. The choice of right or left hand is also really dependent on your culture. In many European countries, including Denmark, Russia, Norway, and Spain, it's more common to wear the wedding ring on your ring finger of your right hand than it is the left. So we understand the placement, but how did the ring come to exist in general? According to hieroglyphics, the ancient Egyptians began using rings to showcase marriage and bonds, with couples making rings out of hemp, leather, bone, or ivory. This tradition was later assimilated by the Romans after Alexander the Great conquered Egypt in 332 BC. The Romans brought in the use of metal, the main choice for rings being iron, with gold and silver rings given on rare occasions dependent on the wealth and class of the couple. The Romans were also one of the first to customize their rings, often engraving the couple's faces on the band. The wedding ring tradition quickly spread across the globe, but saw many different types of rings depending on where you were. There were fide rings, which consisted of two locking hands. The most common of these rings still exists today in Ireland with the cladaw ring, 
which sports two hands holding a heart with a crown. In the Middle Ages, the posy ring was a style of choice with a gold band and a poem inscribed either on the outside or the inside of the ring. The gimel ring, like a small puzzle, became popular as the posy ring went out. They consisted of two to three interlocking bands, which I think is wonderfully symbolic in the fact that each band is free, yet must remain together to create a whole. Many gimel rings use beautifully cut jewel stones, ornate designs, and have things such as memento mori, which was a skeleton and a baby carved into the ring to symbolize life and death and the eternal love beyond this life. It was quite a big ring. <laughs> Jewish wedding rings had to be an unbroken circle of solid silver or gold with no stones or details, except sometimes they did have a little roof on top of the ring thought to represent the couple's home or temple that opened like a locket to reveal a Hebrew inscription. All of those lovely styles aside, today when most people think of an engagement ring, they think of a diamond ring. The practice of using diamonds has been around since the 15th century, with the first two documented rings belonging to Costanzo Sforza and Camilla di Aragona in 1475 and the Archduke of Austria and Mary of Burgundy in 1477. Though we do know the most about Mary's ring and that it consisted of a small number of diamonds arranged in this form of an M set on a plain gold band. In the 20th century, if he could afford it, the typical Western groom would select and purchase an engagement ring to present to his desired bride. In countries where both partners wore engagement rings, matching rings were selected and purchased together. Like all jewelry, the price of an engagement ring varied depending on materials used. Which brings us to our next part of the podcast. As I mentioned earlier, my career is in marketing. I rent demand gen for a tech startup, so my marketing brain has to admit how utterly brilliant the De Beers campaign was for diamonds, but the other side of me is not as into the implications it puts on engagements since the 1940s. The discovery of mass diamond mines in South Africa in the late 19th century led to the development of South Africa-based cartel De Beers Consolidated Mines in 1888. In 1938, De Beers hired an NYC ad agency to vitalize the diamond market because such a campaign had become necessary to sell the large quantity of diamonds that were available. In fact, a chairman of De Beers optimistically predicted that the diamond trade would prosper so long as men are foolish and women are vain. The campaign launched in 1939, introducing the four C's, cut, carrots, color, and clarity, persuading young men that diamond size and quality were a measure of his love, his personal, and his professional success. From 1939 to 1947, when the slogan, A Diamond is Forever, was introduced, De Beers worked tirelessly with Hollywood and print media to forever change the engagement ring game in Western culture. The entire campaign was an astounding success, essentially linking diamonds to romance, love, commitment, and status, ultimately persuading most consumers that the only acceptable stone for an engagement ring was a diamond. There's nothing inherently wrong 
with what these companies did. Many companies even now have masterful marketing campaigns that have or can shift how a product is thought of and consumed. But I do think it's really important to understand the idea that a person proposing needs to spend two to three months salary on a diamond ring literally came from an ad agency in an attempt to sell diamonds. One other reason for increased popularity of expensive diamond rings existed, though. In the United States until the Great Depression, a man who broke off his engagement could be sued for breach of promise. Monetary damages, including actual expenses while preparing for the wedding, plus emotional distress and loss of other marriage prospects, were all on the table. Our historical relationship with human sexuality is generally one of repression and is deeply equated with a woman's marriage prospects, especially in the early to mid-20th century. That's an entirely different topic that we do not have time to get into. But if a woman had engaged in sex with her fiancé and he broke off the engagement, her damage in the eyes of other men in society were far greater. In 1935, these laws were repealed. However, the social and financial cost of a broken engagement was still an issue. The diamond engagement ring then became a source of financial security for the woman, as it wasn't generally given back to the other person, at least not until more recent times. So if we move on to more current times, things have definitely been changing. And honestly, we're all for the idea of shaking up tradition. In recent years and quickly gaining popularity, colorful stones and non-diamond engagement rings are having major moments thanks to a growing appreciation for the anti-traditional. Things like unexpected stones, materials, designs, and honestly, in many cases, a more approachable price tag. NYC-based jewelry designer Kate Jones, who owns Ursa Major, was quoted in the Zoe report that engagement rings should be more about loving it for the beauty and the meaning of the piece and the emotional value versus the price. And we couldn't agree more. So, You're thinking about going the non-diamond route for a ring. What do you need to know? One thing that you need to take into account is the mineral hardness of the stone because you want to pick one that doesn't chip or break easily. A very popular alternative to the diamond is the sapphire. Not only are they hard stones, but they also come in a variety of colors, including peach, purple, yellow, blue, teal, and blush. Other popular ring choices include pearls, onyx, tourmaline, rubies, and muzzanite, to name a few. You can find rings like these from local designers, big jewelry brands, or even shops on Etsy. All that aside, diamond rings in the diamond industry are still alive and thriving, and if you have your heart set on a diamond engagement ring, you should get one. But if you're not attached to that idea, don't be afraid to go outside the wedding box and do something else. Though not every single detail on rings and marriage as that would take a 10-hour episode, This was hopefully enough to give you more insight into this tradition. Rings have symbolized a bond or marriage for thousands of years, whether it's an ornate rock or a simple gold band. So that wraps episode one, guys. I can't wait to dive into more traditions. We have the dress, the flowers, the bachelor party, and more to cover in the coming weeks. We'll be releasing episodes every other Tuesday to start. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at anti-wedding wedding club to learn more about our topic, see alternative trends in the wedding industry and more. See you next time.